0: Good evening, everyone. As you're coming on in, we're thankful you're with us this evening. Tonight's going to be a treat. Mr. Mitchell Hora is with us this evening, young uh, seventh generation farmer from southeastern Iowa. So um, we'll, give, we'll give folks a little more time to come in.
1: And we hammer on them with it. Straight Mm -hmm. to it,
0: Rick. All right, let's go, let's go. (laughs) As I like to start these, it's giddy up, let's go. Mitchell, I uh, am absolutely honored you're with us this
1: evening, thank you so much. It's gonna be a fun time, I'm sure of it. It will be. Happy to be here, Um, happy to be here.
0: Yeah, good, great. I'm gonna start off like I do with everybody. Mitchell, what is on your mind right now?
1: Yeah, so definitely right now, you know, thinking about scale, thinking about um, taking this way, way bigger than what any of us have ever thought about it before. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, thinking about how do we enable regenerative ag to really flourish and scale and get a lot more more people involved. There's a lot of money that wants to get into this space. There's a lot of farmers that are looking for opportunities. There's a lot of need in the farming community for better solutions and resources, uh, and uh, we just got to think about massive scale to enable all this to happen. So, been spending a lot of time thinking about that. You know that right now, at Continuum Ag, we work directly with farmers, and we've got some pilot projects and some large, very you know prominent large companies that we're working with. But it's how do we take that to the a bigger level? Like it's still all so small. It's not really getting to the the right. right stage of impact and i just think it's a chicken and the egg thing you know that's that's what boils down to so i'm just trying to figure out how do we break that because i think trying to get one end or the other you know to figure this out is just not working so we just have to kind of force it through and think about this stuff at a lot bigger level than what any of us have really thought about it before so that's what i've been thinking about here recently yeah so
0: let's stay right there for just a minute um let's uh, this is what always intrigues me. And, and Mitchell, you're probably of the people I know, you're the closest to this pulse of this carbon market. So um, here's what I, I need help with. Yeah. We can sit here and talk all about this regenerative and all this, but what what is the buyer of the carbon? What are they wanting? Do they want to see what's their, what is their definition of regenerative farming or what's their definition of qualifying be in this carbon market the the buyer of the carbon
1: yeah i mean they definitely do not really know yet as far as the buyers of these credits and stuff they don't really know exactly what they're after now carbon at least in regenerative they don't know exactly what they're after they're after carbon credits so there's carbon credits are not a new thing carbon credits are very common lots and lots of money that goes into it every year and has been for a long time but most of those credits are coming from forestry or from direct capture from other sectors right, right. not necessarily you know very less than one has come from agriculture so the key thing I think that they're looking for is they're trying to get these verified carbon offsets within AG but nobody's fully like really been able to do it yet like to the these to one of the uh, global registries like a Vera gold standard somebody like that nobody's actually, created one of those yet. There has been credits developed, there's been good programs that have been able to get farmers paid, and that's great. But a lot of these companies are attempting to utilize existing infrastructure to define these credits, and they're trying to force agriculture through these protocols, and things like additiona- how they define additionality today, how they are calculating these outputs today, how they're, some of these definitions just doesn't quite work for ag yet. So they just are trying to force it through some of the current standards and it just isn't really working. But yeah. so these companies, they want carbon, but right now they're basically paying for a privatized cost share. To, they're paying for reduced tillage, add cover crop, reduce nitrogen, and then assuming that that's going to get them a carbon output that they want based on some really outdated models. So it might be helping, but it's definitely not very accurate on the real carbon story.
0: So, I mean, we're not even close to, to an, a full answer or a full, a full no. system, a systems approach here.
1: The key thing is going to have to be, you know, I what I keep saying is, you know, as, as you point out, like I'm really deep into this, never thought I was going to be. I mean, it's just kind of coming on my plate and I'm trying to help figure this out because yeah. I, I really think there could be massive opportunity for my farm, for me personally, for my company, but just for ag and for family farms at large, like there is yeah. a good opportunity here to showcase agriculture as part of this solution. These companies are looking for solutions and we might as well say, Hey, we want to be part of your solution. Let's do it. But today that's not really enabled. And uh, I mean, for example, like, I mean, my farm is really deep into this and we have no idea what our carbon footprint is. We can't actually really define it as it exists today. So there's a big disconnect there.
0: And to me, that's, that's worrisome because we've been, yeah. I, see, here's what I'm, here's what I'm really worried about, Mitchell, is I know it, this doesn't seem like we've been on this a long time, but in today's, in today's world and, and as quick as things move, we have been on this quite a while and people are going to start getting discouraged and maybe move away or uh create situations that are dictated by their own their own means you know so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what the answer to this i still you know a lot of times i say we need a definition and i think we yeah. we need i think we need a definition here for what is going to be acceptable now i think we all agree that you're going to have to implement the pre- the soil health principles
1: totally i mean that's that's how the carb- i mean the carbon gets in the ground through photosynthesis I mean, that's the whole driver of Regen Ag is the carbon. It's the carbon. It's feeding the microbes, and you gotta have living roots to be able to do it. and Then minimize the disturbance because that throws off the microbes and might release more of that carbon than what you have plants that can actually right. capture it and take it back in. It's just doing that with a little bit different angle that it's you know focused on the actual elemental carbon itself. And but it's a little pigeonholed, you know, versus Regen Ag that's more holistic. But yeah. So, yeah, it's got to be still those principles, but there's more to it than that, you know, like based on what type of equipment you're using. Like, I would argue that, you know, you utilizing the equipment that you use as you're planting that cover crop, I could be planting the exact same cover crop, but my carbon footprint is going to be different because I have different equipment than yours. Right. Today, and that's a small, just example nuance, but it's not right. factored in. It's not factored into the calculations for that.
0: No, no. I, I think we have a long way to go on this, and and maybe. The longer this takes, the more, the more, I don't know if perfected is the right word, but the more fair it will be for both. I mean, yeah. it's got to be fair for the farmer. I call and it leveling buyer. the playing field.
1: Yeah, we got to be more transparent here. We got to level the playing field to yeah. enable more people to participate. And it's just got to be transparent. So what I keep pushing back to on this, to your point directly, today, farmers get paid based on yield. How many bushels do you produce? And you get paid based on how many bushels. And we've gotten pretty darn good at growing a heck of a lot of bushels in the methods that we've done here today. And it's that way because the more you produce, the more you get paid. And that's what farmers look at. We never look at how you got there or the other implications of those methodologies. So now if we can look at here's how you calculate your actual carbon impact and reward growers based on that, now we can – if it's transparent and you can say, if you do this, here's exactly the amount of additional carbon that you're going to get. And here's the price for it. And you can measure out if it's going to be worth it or not for yeah. your own operation. If we can become transparent at that level, now we can really get creative and farmers can, can be innovative and you can, if you can be rewarded based on your actual outcome, now we can really get somewhere, yeah. you know, now farms that are really pushing hard farms like yours, you know, we're and we're trying to do some of these things to really drive and, And uh, draw down more carbon Um, today just by the means of soil health, you know, not because of the direct carbon capture side, other than more liquid carbon to feed the microbes. But um, until farmers get rewarded based on merit and based on innovation, based on the outcomes, I really think these programs are going to struggle.
0: Yeah, I mean, most people probably know where I stand on on what how I would have this carbon market set up. How how would just, you know, quickly, how would you. Yeah. What metrics and, and how would you have this set up? Uh, just give us yeah. your, how you would set this so thing it's,
1: up. So it's, it's what we're working on, okay? Everyone and their dog is, is going after these new USDA grants and stuff, okay? The yeah. Carbon Smart Commodities grants where the USDA has yeah. putting a billion dollars towards this, okay? And we've been working on one as well. And uh, in our program is to go out there and go to a wide, diverse array of farms and help them to define their actual, what I call, carbon cost of production on a per acre, and then therefore on a per bushel basis, and how okay, I would calculate minute. it. Wait, wait yeah. a
0: minute, you're doing this with their current uh, operation. current practice What farm. is your
1: where? What is your carbon footprint okay. today? And I want to okay. go to your farm. I want so to go to your farm What is your baseline today? So that's what drives me nuts about so many yeah. of these programs. They want to establish regional baselines. They want to establish historical baselines for that individual farm. And my whole thing is. Why don't we look at what is your actual carbon footprint today? And if you're losing carbon as a result of your practices, if you're losing carbon, maybe you don't get penalized today. I don't want that, but maybe you can earn some mitigation credits as you decrease your losses by, you know, um by reducing your synthetic nitrogen for example, that right. has a big impact or reducing your tillage. Maybe you're not going to go cold turkey to full blown, you know, this direction, but At least if you know that today you're losing carbon, maybe you can earn some mitigation credits until you're actually sequestering and drawing down carbon as a net result of your practices. Now you can earn a true sequestration credit, which should be the premium that enables growers who are actually offsetting their own footprint and that of others, you really get paid. So meaning we got to calculate how much fuel to use, how much nitrogen to use, how much electricity, LP, some of those losses yeah. and natural losses from the soil, how much you're losing, plus how much are you actually drawing down based on your cover crop, your photosynthetic activity, your amount of biomass in your covers, in your diverse covers and in your rotations. And we can quantify these things today. We just need better ways to calculate and model that out, looking at modeling down the depth of soil and and uh, based on the photosynthesis so we can really enable more farmers to do this at a manner that's going to be feasible
0: yeah so okay let's let's hold right there for a second I want to go back so so now you you your team has pulled is pulled into the farm and yeah. wouldn't you suspect that this exercise as deep as you're going to go is probably something they've never done before this d- to this depth and th- I mean forget the carbon markets if they just see in front of them what my gosh look at what I'm truly spending on inputs here yeah, I think that
1: alone wakes them up. That's what I've really been pushing on to Is it's been really eye-opening for me to just be able to go to a farm and say, "Here's a very simple profile. And we already have this built in topsoil, and and I don't want to jump the gun and get into that. But but you can map out your fields. You can populate. Here's all those practices that I'm already doing. Yeah. yeah. Now today we don't collect what machinery you're using and some of these specifics. Like that is pretty intense. Right. And, uh, and so if we're going to go this hours. route, it's going to take some time unless we're working with like John Deere or some of these other places where you already have some of this information already. The the yeah. information is just very segmented. Yeah. We just need to get it pulled together to yeah. define what are those passes across the field? What's the equipment that you're using with it? What's some of the, the nuances to that equipment to be able to really define your actual impact on a per acre and then therefore per bushel basis because what we want is you know like like in your story rick that you're selling grain at a premium because of those practices behind it now part of it is the organic certification that's very clear and you know you do xyz things and then you qualify and you can't do these other xyz things but it doesn't necessarily give you a number rank it's either organic or not organic there's not a continuum to it so we got to define you know, exactly what your impact is today. And and what I'm really interested in is not just carbon, but here's your soil health impact, your annual soil health gains overall, or your annual return to nitrogen, things like that.
0: I mean, we'll get to, we've got so many places we can go here, but let me, I got (laughs) to explain it all
1: out there, Rick. I said, we're going to just throw it all out there and then we're going to figure it all out as we go.
0: Yeah, I know. But, you know, if I'm, I'm just, I just sit here and think about if I'm a lending institution, okay? Yeah. And and I am now lending uh, operating money to a farmer. I want to see where's that topsoil report at. I want to yep. see where 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 are you at? Where what are you spending on on pencils or pen? I mean, yep. you know what
1: I mean? That yeah. Where's where's the financing going? And especially as more of these companies, more of these banks are going to be looking at um, what is your actual carbon footprint? Because we have to think about this. We are the banks, essentially. Anyway, I'm drawing. I'm, you know, yeah. simplifying. We are essentially the banks' third or the banks' tier three carbon footprint. Uh-huh. Okay, in their facilities, they have a carbon footprint to their lights and their energy usage and their equipment yeah. stuff like that and their fuel, yeah. and and it's not that much. I mean, it's they don't have that big of an impact it, now with, you know, more machine learning and. The computing stuff. Sure, maybe it's got more of a carbon intensity, but we're their carbon footprint. And they're going to need to know how to report that to their shareholders. And we're going to have to know how to define our actual impact on each one of our farms in order to help them to meet their sustainability goals and do their reporting.
0: Right, right. So, so we've got a question. I'll, I'll get to it in just a second. Okay, let's just keep going here just a little bit deeper now. So you know, the, 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 farmer, the, the landlord, whoever has gone on to continuum, uh, what is it? Continuumag.com or?
1: No, just topsoil.ag or continuum.ag, yeah. Okay. Okay. And,
0: and they sign up and they say, you know what? i really like the looks yeah. of this. Come, come on out. Yeah. But, but you, okay. So now you have, you're baselining this farm for them. So then when that day comes that, that, that carbon, uh, company, is is ready to talk to to Farmer Brown? It's there. It's all ready to yeah. just push to them,
1: right? Yeah. Yep. So the data is already there and it's already defined. So it's basically here's your practices, here's your soil data, and here's your plan. Because this isn't just a here's where I'm at now, but it's your plan. Because to your point before, if they're loaning your money or if you're part of their portfolio or whatever, they're going to need to see what are we going to do going forward here. It's like yeah. your budget. What's yeah. your budget? What's your projections? It's where are we already way at? More- this Mitchell, this
0: is way more than just talking about carbon markets. This is None, talking yeah, about whole financial stability, the your yeah. flu how fluid are you, all Correct. this.
1: Correct. Because there's going to be different unique financing scenarios and stuff around sustainable finance and stuff. These yeah. things already exist. This is not yeah. hypothetical stuff. Okay. This is yeah. all reality. Um and it's happening in a lot of other sectors and stuff. And yeah. already with different institutions, you might be able to get, you know, get funding. That's earmarked for certain projects, and today a lot of that, you know, comes through government funding and stuff. It's earmarked for certain utilization. It's going to be the same type of thing for utilizing it to, um, for sustainability initiatives and to improve some of these metrics. You know that there's going to be special financing and such like that available. We're just going to have to show, you know, what the, our opportunities are to improve and what's it going to cost and what the return on investment is going to be financially and in terms of carbon or other environmental outcomes
0: right right well the question i'm sorry i cannot see all i don't know why i can't see the whole name um why not base carbon sequestration on actual measures now i I know how i'm going to answer that go go ahead mitchell why not base carbon sequestration on actual measures
1: Yep. So I think it definitely has got to be on some actual measures, Um, but we've got to utilize some of these models and some of these um, entering practices and stuff in combination in order to make it scalable and more cost-effective. Now, today, and especially today, because and with today's value of a ton of carbon, these companies are selling carbon. So they're paying a lot of these companies today, they're paying the farmer 15 to $20 per ton for carbon and they're selling it right now for around $25 to $30 a ton. Yeah. Okay. And they're making a little bit of margin on it. Of course, they have to. They, they, it's a business. Yeah. Um, so there's not that much money in it when you factor all the costs and all the things that go into this and sampling and all that. So um, the sampling itself is can be really expensive, um, especially doing it at the scale that these guys are talking. So what yeah. it'll be is basically think of it as cross-referencing that here's what the model is saying that you're doing based on plugging all your information. Today, you plug, today my my issue with these programs today is that you don't plug in enough specific info to get a very accurate reading. Yeah. But just because they they these models were not intended to have these multi-billion and trillion dollar markets built on top of that. They were yeah. built for basic academic um, purposes at universities and through USDA and such. So we just have to make them more robust to be able to quantify and be more specific around all the nuances of each of our farms. Then we can spot check and do direct measurement of those carbon pools to cross-reference it versus those models as we go. And what I'm really interested in is as we push to be more innovative, can we do better than the model? And then therefore we should get paid because we're pushing beyond what the model says because we're doing practices that are more innovative. Of what the models are initially built around and
0: right. that direct
1: measurement today how they do that direct measurement is a test called dry combustion organic carbon that's how it's done today and uh, but what i think we're missing is that carbon is not just uh in that one form right. carbon is a solid a liquid and a gas and it's very that's dynamic right. and it's not just sitting there stable permanent for 100 years like they're talking it does need to be drawn down into the system where maybe it is you know, permanent for a hundred years. But like Dr. Jerry Hatfield says, it's not stable. We're just lengthening the cycle, which is exactly right. Cause that carbon is so important to grow our crops. Right. Right. Um, So
0: let's see. I had a, I had a question and I lost it. Um, mm, I lost it. Sorry about that. Well, thanks for the question. Again, I apologize. I can't, I see DE is what I see. That's all I see. So I'm Sorry on the name but thank you for that question um well Mitchell let you want to do you want to you want to say any more about in this carbon arena or you want to move on
1: i mean i think the biggest thing there to put it to bed is there are some really interesting things happening there's some very interesting projects that are going to be coming about uh, the funding for those goes out maybe by late summer or fall and okay. they'll be trying to roll out those programs in early 2023 okay. um, so it's a little ways down the road for some of those Um, Other than that, I mean, some of these other carbon programs today, maybe some people are are involved. And my rule of thumb is, hey, if you got a program that's long-term risk adverse, meaning not a long-term contract, you know how to get it out out of it. And if it pays you some decent money for your family operation for the effort you got to put in and it works for you today, sweet. Hey, let's do it. You know, rock and roll. Awesome. But just know that these programs, they need a lot of development. They need a lot of work. I think we're moving in the right direction. But overall, too, any of these programs, it is only the cherry on top. It is only an additional carrot that I hope can drive our ability to invest in our family farms and take this further. Um, And I think it's bringing more people to the table, which is really interesting. It's definitely helping our space move. Um, But the real gains here in the long term is actually understanding the principles and controlling what you can control. Don't, okay. you know, don't rely on these outside forces.
0: Yeah. All right. So let, let's let I got I got my question back. I lost a minute ago. Do you think do you think that that companies I'm, I'm talking mega companies here will yeah. just implement their own rules of, of what they mm. think would be a carbon uh, farming, let's call it carbon farming yep. structure for the farmer?
1: Good question. Um, I think there's going to have to be some kind of standards and some type of, you know, at least if we're going to define some things in there, there's going to have to be some of that. No, I think some of the different companies that are out there connected with the consumer, building brands or building yeah. their own sustainability infrastructures and stuff. Yeah, sure, they can define it in different tiers, and and uh, I've seen some creative things happening there. And you're involved in some of that kind of stuff too. You know that there's there's some groups that are going to be developing. You know. Um, different premiums or different markets or, you know, they're packaged differently or graded differently based on outcomes. I think there's some real opportunity for that. And, uh, and each one can be different, but what's going to, all of these are going to be driven by data and by being able to tell that story, some of it, like in your use case that you're talking there, I think a lot of that can be a lot of like the, the story connectivity and, and it, it, you know, they are highlighting your website or your, You know, your social media channels and stuff to really showcase that family farm and where this came from and being able to connect that way. I think there'll be some opportunity there, but um, I think a lot of this is going to have to come down to um, some structure and some standards around, you know, what is the impact. So it's going to be a a blend of both the structure and the standards. I definitely think we're pretty far out yet. Um, At least, I mean, to have any kind of thing at scale, like, i i don't know i mean i can't completely predict the future but i mean i want to say five years maybe like three at the earliest I mean, any kind so, of real something with substance that can be scaled i i think be yeah. far yeah
0: so do you see this happening in in, in the free world or do you see this uh, do you see government intervention here what do you see
1: i mean i i hope that it can be free world um no i think the government side is because i think in the free world you're gonna have to, we're going to have to continue to have nuances here and we're going to have to continuously implement. And when, when it's just government, it's going to be a one-time kind of thing. And they might not be able to have iterations as quickly as what we're going to need. Um, Now, I think on the government side where I can see them is kind of what they're doing now with funding innovation and funding the free market to take this and drive. They might be able to help to level the playing field by providing some of the more transparency into this, maybe helping with, How do we define some of these things and open up? um, Or third-party
0: verification?
1: um, Maybe. I mean, they would have some tools that can be used, like um, access to the satellites and access to some of these tools. But I don't know that they need to be the ones that are coming in and attempting to verify everything. I don't think that's good. I mean, shoot, they struggle right now to verify is that CRP actually still in CRP and stuff (laughs) like that, you know, so – I don't know that that that's the right thing, but they could definitely provide some of the infrastructure that other third-party verifiers can be built upon.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Very good. Well, I I know, I know you you're close to the pulse of this, so I'm glad we spent some time on this. I know you get tired of talking about it, but
1: no, it's really interesting. And obviously it takes a ton of my time and I'm, I'm really interested in it because I see the opportunity and it's, I mean, Rick, it's not like a couple of years ago, this was like, oh, wow, there's like millions, maybe a couple of billion dollars. What's good to this? No, it's trillions.
0: Yeah. It's trillions.
1: Oh, It's yeah. trillions. Yeah. It's crazy. So like, of course, I got to try to figure out how to get some of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. And, um, and to get
1: it to be real. Like, I just don't want it to be greenwashed and just have it ruin the whole thing. That's my, that's why I've been focused on this too, is I'm passionate about the whole soil health regen movement. Yeah. And if this carbon thing comes in and and puts a black eye on this, then it just hurts what we're trying to do here, the real opportunity for farmers, which is the promise of soil health.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly where I'm at. I'm on the soil health, human health side of the equation. If they want to tag carbon along somewhere down the road, fine. But we have to get, and then that leads me into another question here. So, okay, so let's assume that your timeline's about right. Let's say three years and we're, we're giddy up, let's go. Mitchell, we don't have enough teachers. We don't have enough cover crop seed. We don't have yeah. enough of anything.
1: Correct. Um, a huge, huge concern with a lot of this. That's why that's why uh, mandates and, uh, and one-size-fits-all stuff is not going to be the way to do this. And regulation, no. No. not going to be the way to do it. The stuff is not there. The teachers aren't there. And even and that's what we were kind of saying before. There can be some major, major dollars going to farms. So a big carrot. Coming yeah. our way in a couple different programs, which is sweet. Like that can really help to decrease the risk. That can really get a lot of people on board. But no matter how big that carrot is, if you don't know what the heck you're doing, right. it's not going to work. No. Um, so I that's mean, what and that I mean that's what I'm really been trying to scale. And that's what my initial thought process of how do we scale this to millions and millions and you know tens of millions of acres and bigger? Yeah. It's going to take some real processes and some real infrastructure right. and the data systems because there's not enough people that can go and teach it.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. And you know as well as anybody, Mitchell, that if that farmer who 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 all along the way has been saying this isn't going to work on my farm, you introduce yeah. a cover crop on his farm and it fails, it's over. He's never done
1: back yeah, so they might take the, you know, they might take a bunch of money here for the first couple of years, but then, especially if a bunch of farmers don't have success with it, that money's gonna dry up because they're not going to see the outcomes. And then yeah. the farmers also are gonna say, well, this still, even with that big money wasn't worth it. You know, it might entice them to keep with it for a while, but they're it's it basically it entices them still to do the bare minimum. So what what these programs do is it entices them, try to get as much money as you can, but do the bare minimum to still check the box and get that money it doesn't focus on the real outcome which is yeah. my point with all yeah. this until you can be rewarded based on the real bottom line net outcome like right. you're with yield right then it doesn't it's not really going to go and really going to be there See, so and even with yield of course has a lot of issues too with being propped up with crop insurance and things like that and there's some there's issues there but but until we get to that point I, these things are going to struggle
0: yeah you know i i at this when you get to this kind of a of a of a monstrosity we're talking about here simplicity is the best course of action here yeah you know i i maybe i oversimplify things but uh, you you know you are deep into the handy test which is where i want to go next but yep. that has a soil health score on it. So why yep. can't we use some kind of that data to then yep. drive to a, a a solution that works for the farmer and the buyer of this carbon credit?
1: The, the biggest piece with the Haney test. So there's I mean, I've been deep into the Haney test for for a number of years. That's what I started the company around initially. And that's yeah. what we've really built things around. Okay, And, and I can definitely yeah. dig into that. But.
0: And Mitchell, you've got the you've got the largest collection of of data points, right? Of
1: like data of private of private data and stuff and within our data set. Yeah. We got a lot of data and we've been doing as much as weekly soil sampling for the last couple of years, really trying to learn and understand the nuances. We've done a lot of sampling. And uh, the why I like the hanging test on the carbon side, yeah, it gives a score, an overall outcome, which I think is good, but these companies are still going to want to take that down to tons of carbon and kind of the metric that they want to see as well. Now, I like the overall score because of other pieces that can be built on top of it, right. and it can be a good indicator, maybe kind of part of your that sustainable supply chain and stuff like you were talking before. Our growers are improving their overall soil right. health by X amount or or that gets into the regen verified piece and stuff too. This whole region zero I think stuff like that where they're using multiple nuances of this that can be a really good opportunity. Within carbon, the key thing on the handing test is it quantifies the solid, liquid and gaseous phase of carbon. That's the key. Now yeah. the key now I don't know that these groups are going to pay us it, no, no time soon are they going to pay us for the gaseous and the liquid phase, but why they're important is that those are the leading indicators to the lagging indicator of the more, the solid form of Olive carbon. Phase. Yeah. And on the farm, we, and on the agronomy side, we can help farmers to move those leading indicators much quicker than we can move the lagging indicator. And, yeah. and to simplify it, it's thinking of organic matter. Sure. We can see organic matter build up in a couple of short years, for sure. You've seen it. We've been having great luck with it. But you can't necessarily see the real buildup on an annual basis or even quicker than that. But with biological activity through CO2 burst or through the water extractable carbon, you can see that within a couple months, even or, or sooner, of yeah. doing some of these things. Yeah. And then you, at least in our farmer mindset, it's like, okay, I'm tracking on the right direction. I'm seeing some things happening. If this, this cover crop blend is different than this cocktail over here, whatever, versus this, okay, maybe I want to do more of that because here's how it tracks to my outcomes and I can model that out over time. That's yeah. why I like doing that. But also, of course, the handing test is so important because it meets farmers where they're at on managing fertility. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, on average, we've seen we've been able to help farmers reduce their need for fertilizer by $106.24 an acre. I mean, that's a yeah. So that's what I love about it too. It's like put money in the farmer's pocket right away. Cause now you, I haven't heard you say this for a while, working from a position of strength yeah. or what, how do you say it? Cause that's exactly what this is. Now I've got dollars in my pocket. I'm in a yeah. better financial position than what I was before right away. Yep. Yeah. I was going to spend all this money. I've got better data. I don't need to spend this much anymore. Cause I'm looking at a different pool in pretty much every case. Yeah. Our lowest that we saw, we were able to cut back on fertilizer last year was something like sixty-seven dollars and change per acre.
0: Yeah,
1: it was the worst case scenario. Yeah, we charge you know and the heating test costs about ten bucks an acre. Yeah, it's like I mean, <laughs> no, no. it's been it's just been such an easy like initial foot in the door, and especially with the fertilizer prices now, it's like guys, why spend and waste more money than what we absolutely need to be spending? Right,
0: that's right. Yeah, and 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 not only to be looking at this from a dollar and cents point of view, but to be looking at it as a good steward to the land and a good steward to the ecology, everything. So, it's just you know, I I want to get into data here, and now I, I get a dean, I guess was the name. I'm sorry, I didn't, I can't see your whole name. I thank you for the question. He's got another. He's got just a thought here. Standards yeah. need to be established first, then the markets will come later. So
1: yeah, that, I think right. that's exactly it. That's, that's right. exactly yeah, We're trying to jump the gun a little too much. And um, and I don't want to, you know, name names, but a lot of people have seen that, you know, I think, I think in this space, we've been kind of over promised and under delivered to at least as a, as yeah. a ag community as a whole. This oh, all yeah. needs some, some development here, you know, like, there's a lot of money that's trying to go to this, but the science isn't fully there yet. And yeah, once we develop some better standards, and we show the world how we can really quantify this and what we can really do, now we can get there. Right. Now, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but I want to, I want to focus on showing that we can do way better than just very minute changes and build up to soil organic matter. Yeah. We can, in if we do this right, and you've seen it, and we've seen, it, we can go and make big changes to that organic matter, to that structure, mm-hmm. to that overall soil health. But to their piece, it's organic matter, and then therefore a portion of that being the organic carbon, we can make big changes to that in a relatively short amount of time and uh, way bigger than what they're initially modeling out. And, and it actually makes the finances work really well. What right. I mean by that is don't just look at sequestering half a ton per acre, but get, you know, maybe a couple tons per acre. I really think it's doable.
0: Yeah. And, and again, this goes back to, you know, get in touch with the right folks to, to show you how to get started that teaching yep. process and get the right cover crop mixes at the right time. I mean, all this is very important and, and context, you know. You know, Mitchell, we where we are really in line. the world is I'm right in line with the Missouri-Iowa border. So all of Iowa's north of me. Now you're not that far north of me, so we're similar. No. Yeah. But you you talk about Lauren, Steinloggy, and now we're in northeastern. Then you go even I got Mitch Brummond up up in Minnesota. I mean, now yeah. you're talking it's different now. Way different. Same principles apply. Yep. But different timing, different species, different everything. Yep.
1: yep. And uh, and different expectations of the outcomes, yeah. I think. We're gonna have to be, we're gonna have to factor that in. Um, but with with all of this, I think there are some nuances to it that yeah, the further north you go, you have less days that you can really photosynthesize, really pump carbon. You yeah. also have less days that you're burning up carbon, that your microbes are really cranking too. So there's that's a true. balance to it, and that's why in general, those guys up there in Minnesota. Their baseline, organic matter is probably higher than ours.
0: Yeah Yeah
1: they're starting from a higher level or their natural system is probably at a higher level than ours because ours is cranking more days out of the year than theirs. That's why they got the, they have never, heavy, heavy black soils.
0: I never thought about that, but yeah, you know like Adam and Chapel down in uh, what was it Arkansas I mean he, in
1: Tennessee, it's, yeah. or it's Arkansas, Sorry, Adam and Adam in Arkansas yeah, it's, it's nonstop not, down there. It's nonstop but that's also why adam and these guys down south have the ability to leverage that yeah and to grow crops every day out of the year like we don't have the, necessarily the ability to right they yeah. can be pumping mean, carbon in the ground every day
0: it, yeah again context i mean this is so I'm important sure. hey we've got a question here from uh from zach laughlin uh mitch can you speak about your weekly haney tests At what point in the growing season do you stop? Have a farmer that I work with that wants to do this on a field in six different strips. I'm worried about cost.
1: Nice. Yeah. Cost is definitely going to be a concern. I mean, the, the, a handy test lab fee, you know, is typically around about 50 bucks on average. Um, You know, maybe you can uh, work with the lab or try to find a grant or something like that to do it. And Zach, good to, good to have you on too. Um, But, We've been doing it um, now. I was working directly with Dr. Rick Haney for a while when he was at the USDA and we were, we were working some projects together. Okay. So that's why I've been able to make this really work. Now I'm working okay. with, with Rick and with Lance over at the, at the Regen ag lab and yeah. spend this all out of my own pocket. All of my research stuff that I've done so much of the development that I've done, it's come out of my own pocket. Sure, and Utilizing the revenues that we've had coming in and utilizing, um, you know, utilizing our own money to, to build this. um but we've been i typically try to start right around first of april we just started doing our stuff this monday for this year so typically around the first of april kind of as green up is starting to happen and before planting and i typically like to go till right around thanksgiving Mm -hmm. we're going pretty intense Mm -hmm. um now one of the other things you can maybe do is is try to target weekly in the earlier parts of the year when it really is going to matter when you're looking at that cover crop uptake and cover crop nutrient degradation and then maybe later you can just do it monthly or every 15 days or something like that to to save on cost um but it is amazing to see some of these changes and trends stuff over time so definitely whatever you guys do would love to to show you guys and compare notes and stuff we're definitely trying to to get more of ours out there and build it into the software and now i've got so much of this data it's like okay now let's really use it Um, my number one goal with what we've been doing is that cover crop is my offensive management tool. That's right. Okay, that cover crop is my nutrient stabilizer and I need to know how much is in that cover crop right. and when do I get it back and I mean Rick your data is amazing on that on the the uh, the above ground biomass. Yeah. I'm looking at what's available below the soil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See the you know and and we got to remember here folks, I don't care if you're doing hay tests or traditional soil tests it's a snapshot in time, and Mitchell yeah. nailed it a minute ago. He's looking at trends. What have, what's the data telling? What's the organic carbon doing? Is it trending up or is it trending down? Because yeah. we all know, Mitchell. I could hire I could hire you to come out and pull tests tomorrow. You come back in three weeks and pull them again. They're going to be different numbers.
1: They're going to be different, and and I love that that in the. You know, Rick, of course, gets a lot of pushback. Rick and Liz, I'm like, well, guys, the numbers are, you know, it's not consistent. It changes. And right. their answer is, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're measuring a living, living system. If it didn't change, I mean, it's dead.
0: Just That's like us. Right. If
1: our numbers, sure. if you're checking my heartbeat now, or my heart rate now versus my heart rate in three weeks, and it doesn't change, good chance it might be dead. Like, yeah. the chance of it staying at the exact same between those two instances probably isn't that great of a chance. That's so. Right the, uh, it's the same thing in the soils, but you're, you're so right on watching those trends and stuff. And what I'm trying to gather is being able to go out there and identify what is my carbon to nitrogen ratio doing? How active is my soil? How much food do those microbes have? And the more food they've got, the faster I'm going to break down some of that residue, the faster I'm going to cycle additional nutrients and utilize some of those balances. And and really what I've been factoring is I just want to factor on the timing of the nutrient application. And again, use that cover crop as my nutrient stabilizer.
0: That's right. Now, let me quick, I want to quickly go through what we do. We, we, um, we look at a field and typically what I try to do is regionalize the acres on the farm. So like if you've got an area that's got 500 acres, I try to pick one field that will be a representation of that 500 acres. We will pull samples, uh, geospatially marked from the, the best producing spots, the worst producing spots, and the average. And then we're pulling these three times a year. Now, I know that's a lot of testing, but I don't know when, I want to, I'm want i with you, Mitchell, I wanna know when this stuff's peaking and when are we coming back down. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Zach, I love love the question. You've gotta get, I think that my answer to your question would be, you've gotta get your customer into that comfort zone of what's, what's this information worth to him. So how many tests
1: do you want to pull? And yeah. what do you say is one of your six, goal? Six different strips. Six strips, I'm assuming of different cover crops or you know different blends yeah. or whatever. And uh, and I think that's a good angle to this. And, and to your point, Rick, yeah, start with what's your goal? Okay, if we're yeah. going to spend all this money and all this time, what's our goal? What are we trying to learn here? And again, yeah. for me, it's that cover crop's my nutrient stabilizer. I don't know how much is in that cover crop and then know when do I get it back? And now I can manage my fertilizer accordingly. Yeah, I mean, when
0: when you start down this journey, I mean, for us, we looked at cover crops as a defensive mechanism to stop Mm -hmm. erosion. Now they are an absolute offensive juggernaut because they are recycling nutrients, bringing them back, able to go back through the profile. I mean, it's just amazing what you can do
1: when you get on this journey same thing and that's why um was just with some guys the other day and they're like yeah we were looking at doing cover crops but we couldn't figure out how to make it pencil out and i'm like you're looking at it wrong i I see how it pencils out a million times over that i'm spending like my average cover we haven't been that aggressive and as you know rick and and for everyone else we're planting pretty light rates of covers yeah and and because of my context my area and because we're early into this still and we're we still got a long way to go on our farm we we have a lot of things are not where we need them to be yet Sure. Um, you know we we're planting fairly light rates of these covers, and we're growing bucks. a lot of our own cover crops. Twenty seed. bucks an acre. Oh, 10 on average. 10, 10. 12. Yeah, yeah, 10. 10, twelve. Oh,
0: yeah. And, and what I say to guys like that, Mitchell, is pick. You know, pick one thing. Okay, we're going to help you cut your nitrogen by fifty dollars an acre. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And you spent ten, but what about PK, sulfur, oh, yeah. boron, manganese? Oh, yeah. What about all the other? Yeah. stuff that's coming
1: yeah yeah Now we've cut just so many of these other things and and uh what's amazing to me you know we're not again like on your stuff too or looking at this as a as a risk component as well that it's we're becoming more resilient here that mm. we've really like we don't replant anymore and our water infiltrations are now four inches of infiltration in five minutes and the organic matter the water holding cut back on those nutrients, the organic pools of nutrients were just going bonkers now. We never had that before. And because of that, we now, like, we don't rely on these government handouts and payments and stuff anymore either. Last year was our most profitable year ever with no of those government payments from the federal side. That's the key. Now, we're still in some of those. Okay, we haven't gone there full. i I keep pushing down on like that. Why are we even doing this crop insurance? And part of it is, Where we're at, it's we're still it's still that safety net, and with the cover crop with the cover crop program for it, we're not actually paying anything out of pocket, but we also know that we're not a risk to the taxpayer because of our system either. We haven't we don't have to make claims anymore. The only thing that can really get us and why we're still doing it is hail or a major wind. Okay, might have some problems there, but. Our cost of production is so low that some of these market trends and stuff, not super worried about that. If we get too much rain, our infiltration is plenty good enough. If we don't have enough rain or holding capacity, are utilizing our cover crops to, to keep that soil temperature cool and stuff. We're, we're not worried about that stuff anymore. That's right. really empowering. And especially as we've ran the numbers on it, it's like that, that's what we want. Yeah. And um, we still have it as a safety net, you know, don't, don't pull, you know, that's a process to get there. Right. um Yeah, we're but, we're
0: we're in year four now of no crop insurance. um I eliminated ARC and PLC. I mean, I'm nothing. We're we're not even yeah. we're not listed yeah. in the directory anymore.
1: Yeah, it's so awesome.
0: It's it's a good feeling. It is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, and I definitely think that's where we can really go. Um, and getting getting to those getting to yeah. those levels. At this All point, right. it's basically just that it's it's there. It doesn't. It's not a real line item expense but we also know that we're not a liability for the taxpayer either we're not a burden to the system
0: you can you can sleep at night so that's okay it's all right it's
1: it's part of it i was really pushing on just not doing it but and i'm buddies with like crop insurance guy too so i'm also trying to help his numbers out even though i'm not a big number for him but it's still uh you know it's it's part of there's some nuance so there's some nuances to it
0: yeah Hey, we've got a question from Ashley Farr. Uh, Hi, Ashley. How's it going tonight? Uh, In the process of building soil health with biology, is there still a place for GMO seeds? That's a good Mm. question.
1: That's a good question. So uh, we used to run quite a bit of non-GMO soybeans uh, multiple years ago. We brought back the GMOs because we were having some issues with weeds. Now we've taken care of those issues. Uh, we're still running GMO um, seed um, on our farm. On the beans, it's no seed, they're in list soybeans. And uh, the big thing there is that we're still burning down the cover crop for the most part when those beans. So on beans, we're going to be planting soybeans first on our farm this year. And uh, so we're planting beans, but that's what we've been doing the last couple of years is be year three or four planting beans first. So we're going to soybeans first, planting them into cereal rye. And we won't terminate that cereal rye until it starts dropping pollen, which we are on the last week of May for us. And uh, those beans will be up, and and uh, will be about calf high. We did some of you know your program, Rick, a couple of years ago where we did the roller crimper. It worked really well. Those beans still yielded seventy bushel the acre. They were within about a bushel of the stuff that I just sprayed and did our normal herbicide program on. Um, we had decent kill on the rye. It wasn't great by any means, but obviously the beans did extremely well. Yeah. And uh, we looked at buying a crimper here this year. Um, we were pricing out, We'd, we would need it probably 30, 30 footer for our oh, operation, yeah. cost about 35 grand. And, um, and basically at this point, it was still um, it, part, of, part of the issue for us and being able to pencil that out is we're relay cropping so many of our soybean acres that it would take a lot. Of, I think it would take 10,000 acres to to justify it based on the herbicide expense. Yeah. So, it would just take some time. And uh, see on the corn program stuff too. Okay. So, on soybeans, it's plant beans green, terminate at uh, pollen drop, one pass of one quarter ge- of generic roundup. That's it. it
0: and you're just going to let that ride just melt down on its own.
1: Melt down, nothing. Okay. Yep. Yep. Melt down. It's going to be five foot tall, melt down okay. over the top. We're going to harvest mm-hmm. some of it. The beans will come through. We're looking at, you know, they're. Naked, everything naked, so you know, naked seed, no fertilizer right. on it, one pass of herbicide. Um, hardly in a bit, we'll get fungicide. There's still certain areas that dad does it in, but we've cut a bunch of the fungicide out too. Um, so it's really just cut back on all that. Um, our, our whole farm soybean yield average last year was 69 bushel, um, was our best yields ever. Um, doing county this average, system,
0: county average, uh, county what, average, 50? I think
1: for us is like 56 or 58 wow. or something like that. And everyone okay. around us had pretty good soybean yields last year. We definitely did too. Um, so definitely sitting good. We've been trending about that level up above county average here for a while and staying really consistent and continuing to grow. Like I said, last year was the best ever. Um, so that's still got a, a ways to go. I would love to do the crimp around more. or It's basically we're going to have to really focus on crimping a bunch of stuff or really figure out how to relay even more, which I would All love right. to do because we're having great luck with the relay cropping. Yeah. this will be our fourth year doing that it's been really interesting and in the relay we're anticipating zero herbicide yeah in our relay that's so cool. that's one of our routes okay so either crimp it and do no herbicide or relay it and do no herbicide that way okay and we've been working down our seed banks to get there
0: okay so mitchell let's go back to the program where you're going to plant the beans in at boot stage probably and let them go yeah. and then you're going to spray what was what was your uh, pounds per acre of rye planted the previous fall. Yeah.
1: So my rye is not going to be a boot stage like yours is when we're planting it, Rick. My rye today is about this big. <laughs> okay.
0: And, and, we're and what looking
1: are you planting? Like, as soon as you like. think it's fit? Oh, yeah, like three weeks. Okay. And we're planting four. Oh, we're planting some of our, we're going to do some group four beans this year. Okay. okay. So we haven't gone the route that you are with the super late planting. We're going super early planting on the beans Okay. And doing that because the reason being is we're planting beans into small rye and letting them compete and grow together.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. And we're like we're getting we're getting good consistency on the bean getting up and growing. They're not getting long and stemmy. So no. there's we're not seeing them reach the bottom uh, the bottom internode maybe the second one. They'll be a little bit elongated, but we haven't had issues with them falling right. over and stuff like that. Right. Um, and uh, planting them early with the with the rye so that the rye can protect it and we've been having good control of that utilizing the sunlight during the day trap that heat overnight avoiding a lot of the frost like i said naked seed so we're planting mm-hmm. early before some of those disease cycles and stuff kicking as well and seeing that it's, it's been able to work really well and again we're pushing i mean we want these beans doing 70 to 80 85 bushel mm-hmm. and using really full season to be able to to do that See- then like, terminate the bean, then terminate the the rye though later. So the rye yeah. will be terminated until it heads out.
0: I like that. I like that notion because when you're you're giving such so less competition of that soybean early in its life, I like yeah. that. I like that.
1: I, I skipped out on the rate. We're only planting this rye at about 45 to 60 pounds per acre ahead of being wow. light, light rates. So now we're planting it pretty pound. early. Yep. the earlier we plant, the lighter it's tiller and out. We're getting great weed control. Yeah. And we've seen, we found that that's enough. And I mentioned, you know, it's super cheap for us to yeah. do that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, for us it's been good enough for what we need. And, uh, but the key, the, the, ulti- I, I think, and I think I've heard you say rye ahead of soybeans is the number one thing that you can be doing to really yeah. get this going. But the key has been plant those beans into that rye and let them grow together. Yeah, if you get real hot and dry, terminate the rye. It melts down. It provides the armor, and those beans come through and they're nice and happy. If it's wet and cold, keep the rye growing. It keeps the beans happy, and uh, and you can either terminate it later or harvest it. It just gives so many more options, and uh, that's that's. But then you can optimize the gains there too, because yeah, that my rye is only this big right now. What the heck's it doing for me? Not a whole lot, but it's gonna be five foot before I terminate it but I'm going to get most of that growth over the next coming months because I don't have the winter and in the fall to really enable it to happen.
0: But you see, you're still utilizing what the power of that rye is doing toward building soil health and recycling 100%. nutrients because you're letting it grow far into its
1: maturity. And I would love so, to have more coverage over the winter, of course, for some of those benefits. But what we're also seeing is, when I've got the opportunity to really hammer on building those aggregates, pumping carbon, feeding that microbiome during the spring, when I've got the beans and the rye growing together, because it's monoculture rye, yeah. yeah, but I've got the beans growing with it in order to get some of that system to work. Now I'm interested in maybe some more rapeseed or some brassicas and stuff in mm-hmm. with ahead of the beans, or maybe we use even just rye and wheat, or maybe some oats in there that would winter kill or, to try to get some more diversity um, or maybe frost seed something here in the spring, but um, but just the rye has been, it's just been tremendous. And The, the biggest right. thing with it, and uh, last kind of story on this, I'm sure we need to move on, but the what's been the most amazing thing to see with some of this besides the aggregates and the soil structure and the, the temperature and the water infiltration, all this stuff is amazing. Yeah. So a, data piece, a data piece here, because I know that's what we want to hit on too, These soybeans have to nodulate so freaking much because there is no nitrogen in there. They are not allowed to be lazy. Yeah. If soybeans have nitrogen, they'll be lazy. They don't want to nodulate, they don't want to give the microbes all their carbon, but ours have to. Yeah. We are seeing in the fall, following a rye crop, we're seeing 100 to 120 units of organic nitrogen out there available. Or a next year's corn crop, organic nitrogen. Yeah, that, that's stable. stable, that's stable. Stable units. The nitrate levels are typically an average of five part per million. The ammonium levels are less than that. So my nitrate, I've got five part per million, that's about 10 pounds. That's out there, it's cycling. And I hope that my cover crop is going to hold on to that and I, that I don't lose it. But yeah. it's very, very small amount, five part per million, where typically we're looking at, you know, to grow a crop, you want it to be around 35 part per million. Ours are always in the single digits. Yeah. But it's the organic nutrients that are just through the roof, and that's what I want, and that's why we've been able to cut back on our on our fertilizer so much. Yeah,
0: yeah. You see, there's just so many symbiotic relationships that we don't yeah. know yet, and this is a classic example. You're exactly yeah. right. If you put that grass with that legume, it's going to force that legume to yeah. fix even more.
1: Yeah, and we, we don't, did not. We did not see that before, and uh, and especially where that relay was. You know, we're seeing an extra sixty units of nitrogen in the next May for the corn crop, extra sixty units, and it's all in the organic form. Where we had that relay crop.
0: Wow. Well, <laughs> we, the the audience wants to know about your corn program, and then we yeah, also yeah. want to know, they want to know more about your relay program. So pick the corn first.
1: Yeah. Well, the relay, the relay though, I basically have already put to bed, so it's still the same thing. The forty-five to sixty units of uh, well, are forty-five to sixty pounds in the fall of the rye, soybeans Give your spacings,
0: Mitchell. Give
1: your spacings. It's all seven and a half. Yep, seven and a half inch drilled, and we're okay. drilling the rye. And so all of our cover crops in the fall are drilled with the Great Plains twenty foot no-till drill, seven and a half inch spacings. We did get a uh, Montag air delivery system here this year to put on the vertical till basically going to be the exact same type of soil st- system just 30 foot at a time versus 20 foot less yeah. wear and tear on the drill and then um it's got a dual bin system so i can run more blends or i can play around with more things right. um, with a montag system more a little bit more versatility so but right now on the relay is typically 60 pounds of rye drilled we do have some albon rye that we're trying this year that varietal, and yeah. uh but mostly just been vns cheap rye uh, we've played around with some a little bit of nitrogen on it, haven't seen a whole lot. We've played around with some fungicide on it, haven't seen a whole lot. It's soybeans drilled into it, used very full season. I'm planting them pretty early, kind of last of April, first of May. Planting them early when the rye is pretty small, maybe 10 to 12 inches tall. And uh, the r- beans are being drilled as well, typically on a three-degree angle the other direction. I like to plant cover crops kind of on a three-degree you know angle and chop up some of the corn stalks and three degrees the other way on the, on the beans and then combine straight. And uh, the beans are, are naked um, enlist fluid beans from Stein uh, anywhere from a three, four to a, now a four O maturity um, through three, six, three, eight has been working really well for us. Now we're going to try a group four. Um, Typical for our area, we've been using a two, eight to a three, four. So for context, we're getting real full season here. Um, really critical because of the photo period, and because we're playing early, and, and we're playing with the sunlight. We're going to be harvesting that rye in July, hopefully late, late in the first week, maybe early second week of July.
0: Okay, so no no uh, no controlled traffic areas. You're driving right over the beans,
1: right over the beans. Okay, it's all drilled, all right. and okay. and now you should probably have control, like our buddy Lauren or Lex and these other guys. Okay, that it's probably a better way to do it. But my goal is the soybeans, the rye is just a bonus. And uh, the rye, we last year, we were really dry and we were, you know, VNS rye and just harvested a whole bunch of just cover crop. We weren't even planning on relaying it. And it did 15 to 20 bushel the acre, nothing crazy, but it's only planted out a bushel. Like that's kind of my goal. If I can be doing 30, 35 bushel rye, that'd be amazing. That's what we did the year before 30 bushel rye. The beans are still doing around 70 bushel the acre. We've done three years of replicated trials with Iowa Soybean Association, seeing around a three quarters of a bushel of yield loss on those soybeans. Even with run them over, we have fat tires on the combine, 30-foot draper head. We're running over plenty of beans. Mm-hmm. We just got the draper for the first time this year. You do not have to have that. We ran a regular soybean cutter, uh, a soybean head, soybean platform before. 25-foot, worked fine. The draper head definitely helps on the rye a little bit, probably a little bit less header loss. Yeah. The big reason that we got it, though, was when harvesting the soybeans, you got a lot of straw, a lot of material to run through there. That oh, draper yeah. head helps it to be a little bit more consistent.
0: Yeah, and what I like about your system here, Mitchell, is your system can go to scale now. You can be on thousands of acres, and this will work.
1: Yeah, the, big, the, the thing that I like about it even more than that is we didn't change anything about our system. And I've really tried to do that with all of our different trials—the cover crop stuff we do, the 60-inch stuff that we've done, the relay cropping. It's—it's basically my normal soybean program, okay, or my normal cover crop program, maybe a little heavier. It's basically my normal soybean program, maybe a little bit fuller season bean. But we're kind of doing some of that anyway. And but it's less herbicide and less fertilizer and less fungicide. I got to pull the combat out again in July and get it all shined up. And, you know, we're going to run the combine more and we're going to utilize it across more acres and and harvest some of this stuff and and change up some of those windows. The biggest thing on scale, though, is definitely with can we get all the rye harvested in the summer in our operation? Dad's out there full time. I'm always running all over the stinking place. And, um, and the window to harvest some of this is going to be pretty specific. Yeah, That's been our biggest limitation is to scale. Now, last we did about 85 acres, and we're only farmed about 700 acres, only about 350 acres of beans, and 85 of it had rye on it as well. Yeah, that's most we've done this year. I think we've got 40 that we're planning on relaying, but I would assume you know we might go a little bit more just because it's been working really well. Yeah. Um, but that's the biggest thing is, is the the labor and the timeliness of being able to to really do it. And uh, we are uh, we we have been throwing the rye on the floor of the bin and running some air on it. Mm -hmm. okay it's been coming off at around 17 percent. we're trying to get it dried down just a little bit we'll run a little air on it and uh, either clean out one of our own bins or now we've been renting a bin to be able to do it um just a small little 18 footer um and it's just more cover crop see we're not cleaning it we're not doing nothing we got to get it germ tested if you're going to utilize it for if you're going to sell it or if you're going to utilize it for uh, and get cost share on it you got to get it germ tested but that's like Less than twenty bucks at Iowa State, yeah. and pretty yeah. simple.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So um, uh, we've got a question, but I, w- I don't want to do that yet. Let's go to your corn. Got to right
1: go to the corn. Okay, so the, corn, the corn is corn where we, we. And we still got a lot of a long way to go here, but full transparency, here's where we're at. Okay, so um, following soybeans, first thing, of course, is chasing the combine with uh, the cover crop. This year, um, it's mostly cereal rye and sweet clover. The rye is only at about 30 pounds of the acre. Typically we'll start even at 25 and work it up to about 35 ahead of bean or ahead of corn, light rates of the rye. Nope. It's got a couple pounds of clover added into it as well. Uh, we've got plenty of acres that um, because of our relay last year was kind of a diverse cover crop cocktail that we harvested it all. And now we planted it all. We got cereal rye, annual rye, hairy vetch, rapeseed and the sweet clover all Mixed together out of the corn. So, getting some more diversity there. Uh, we've had really good luck with Harry Vetch. I've uh, okay. been using that for multiple years. So, typical is cereal rye or winter wheat or maybe a blend, light rates of the cereals, and then getting some of the legumes in there. Mm-hmm. Harry Vetch, Crimson Club, been working well. We've tried a little bit of the Blanzo. We'd have to get it planted real early for our area, September. Oh, yeah middle of September for our area, but it does overwinter real well. I do think there's some potential if we go early or, or interseeding. Um, the hairy vetch has worked really well, late planted, overwinters really well. Um, now, this year we didn't have much snow, so some concerns there. Um, as part of our system, and now we've got some trials this year with no anhydrous, but a good chunk of our stuff does still have fallen hydras. Middle of November, um, right before that ground is frozen up or when it's got some frost in the top, running different stabilizers and stuff on it. We've cut the rates back by nearly 50% on a lot of our stuff. Um, So on average now, it's getting anywhere from 80 to 120 units. We have fallen hyders into the cover with low disturbance knives and and then that's basically our strip till. In the spring, um, dad did throw out a little bit of MAP and a little bit of AMS this spring, about 75 pounds of MAP, 25 pounds of AMS. Been playing around with some different stuff like potassium sulfate, um, but overall, really reducing. Yeah. Our program a couple of years ago was typically 180 to 220 units of anhydrous with 250 pounds of MAP and 250 pounds of potash. That was our program. Here's where we're at now on the, on the journey. Okay, so in the spring, the dry program went out here a couple of weeks ago, bare, bare minimum kind of stuff, and really cut back. Uh, now we're, we'll plant and run a little bit of in for a starter playing around with a lot of biologicals and humics and wow. micronutrient stuff Run in for a couple of gallons. This year's uh, product is from a uh, product from nature's it's a um, micronutrient stuff just from our local farm service. Um, after we plant the corn, which we're looking at late April 1st of May I want to I want to wait on the corn planting kind of seeing some of your stuff Rick I want the, the goons to grow a little bit more I want that yeah. soil to warm up. I think yeah. we can, I want to play around with the corn planting time here a little bit. We're going still pretty full season on the corn. Uh, we'll go anywhere from a 105 to 115 day corn. And um, most of it's going to be 109 to 115 day. And um, planting that in, um, it's, it's GMO. A good chunk of our stuff will be non-BT this year. I did some non-BT on my corn last year. worked really, really well i um, working on some stuff with our buddy Russell, seeing about some open pollinated stuff too. I got to get the details locked in there. I would love to try maybe an acre or two of some of that, trying to go the full non-GMO route. Um, after we plant the corn, we'll wait five to 10 days and then we'll hit it with our, our past herbicide, heat that up. It's round up, heat it up with a little bit of 32% to get a quicker burn, help on the seed to end ratio. That cover crop will be probably two foot tall, maybe two and a half foot tall at that time um we've been getting more aggressive on that typically my rule of thumb is terminate 48 to 72 hours after planting yep. get it killed down you know plant green every every time i really think plant it green then terminate it a couple days later let it kind of perk back up then hammer it if you're new to it we're going a little bit more aggressive because we're finding we're not and we're have to go higher c to n ratio covers and more biomass because we're not able to keep the residue on the ground it's, it's right. melting down too fast and decomposing too fast before exactly. canopy before canopy we'll hit it with another pass of of herbicide uh, we can dribble on 32 percent in season if we want um, but on average we will be anywhere from 140 to 160 units nitrogen looking for different cro- different farms will yield anywhere from an average of 205 to
0: 265 mm. so that's um, a um, we, and that and and Mitchell, the, those programs you mentioned are so they're 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 easy. I mean, that's doable on a lot of scale.
1: The biggest yeah. thing that we've changed, the biggest thing we've changed is split applying the nitrogen a little bit. You know, we were we were normal. You know, just a couple of years ago, very very normal. We've done a lot of this in a short amount of time. we really got going into the covers and doing some of this stuff in 2017. Okay, we're very new to a lot of this. We first started using covers in 2013. That first started using no-till though in 1978 so we've been This is a long journey <laughs> a real long journey yeah. and um but so. I, I i think there's good opportunity to keep coming back we've had no ag lime in the last 10 to 11 years depending on the farm and my ph's are all 6 8 to 7 0. yeah organic matter has gone up by as much as 1.4 percent since 2010 and uh we were playing with some other numbers our organic matters before some of that, they were going down. I've got data to show our organic matters, which is our no-till or reduced till, they were going down. Yeah, And now it's like, so I think as we get that really cranking, we're going to be able to keep being more aggressive on cutting back on some of our inputs. Uh, there's no insecticides, no nothing. We've been using the sugar, massively cutting back on the fungicides, the seed treatments, all these things. But it's a part of that program here. We got to get yeah. the bricks built up. We got to get right. our micronutrient balances in order. Got to enable that crop to be healthier on its own.
0: Yeah, you just can't you just can't jump in head first here. Yeah. You've got to build the system. And yeah.
1: we and I like jumping well, in. I'm trying to go got a question here it, from
0: but, uh, I think this is Mark dude. how you doing, Mark? Um, anyone harvesting a 3 to 4 way mix of an organic polycrop grain crop?
1: I think that's a you question
0: yeah that's a me <laughs>
1: question yes
0: mark we are we are we are uh harvesting peas and wheat together we're harvesting um uh, beans and wheat i've actually yeah. got i've actually got a field that we harvested beans peas and wheat together and it's going to go to a, a feed a cattle source so they don't care that it gets separated but yeah mark i think i think this is the future We've got to be co-mingling these cash crops. We've got to find the synergies that are there. Uh, we're going to have peas and corn together this year, and we're going to have soybeans and corn together. I found a short-statured corn that I, I, I hope the, the beans will give us the canopy we need for the weed suppression, and then we're going to harvest corn and soybeans with a grain table. So yeah. Good question, Mark. But uh, I think that's where we're headed. And I think, I think one day Mitchell might get there too. I mean, let's think yeah. about wheat, Mitchell. Let's think about in your relay system, wheat yeah. and soybeans. Yep.
1: yep. So we did wheat the first year and uh, the biggest thing with the wheat, okay. Cause we're all winter crops here too. Okay. So it's yeah. winter wheat, winter barley, winter rye. Okay. It's all planted in the fall. The first year doing this, it was winter wheat. And the story on how we got into this was we were using the cover crop. We're in Washington County, Iowa, which has tripled the cover crops of any other county in Iowa in this county, triple the acreage. And uh, at that point in 2016, 2017, we had more cover crop in this one county than all other 98 counties combined. Why? Really, really Why? unique because there's so many other farms that were like ours that started looking at no-till in the in the 70s and 80s and You're already multi-generations into this, Uh, the topography of our farms, the amount of manure that's down here, uh, the proximity to the rivers and stuff down here in this part of Southeast Iowa, Um, and just that sharing of information and a lot of farmers that are very entrepreneurial, multifaceted, um, mostly with livestock along with the grain, and but just multiple enterprises, And, and a lot of the right support systems, the infrastructure was there. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, because it was there for the no-till push and then the cover crop was a logical next step, but
0: you have, you have good
1: community there. I mean, everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to help. We've definitely seen that. It's been very interesting on, uh, hosting field days, hosting events, you know, our, our field day this summer being, uh, June 6th, uh, the big soil health event that, that we hosted with soil region, um, very unique that a lot of our attendees are local. Yeah. A lot of events that's, get put on and the local crowd doesn't necessarily show up. That's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. We have um, really good local support. They've been great um, customers and stuff. Great friends. That's why I've been able to learn this stuff. You know, yeah, we're pushing, we're doing this on our farm, but I'm 27 years old. Like I got to learn these things from other people. And that's why I'm trying to associate with the right folks and trying to learn and trying to help, you know, everyone else because I got energy and I'm not afraid to drive all over the place and, and uh, spend all the money <laughs> building all these things and building companies and just crazy enough to be able to, you know, try to figure out how to make this work. But, but yeah, I mean, at that point though, in 2017, we knew, Hey, there's, this cover crop thing is going to continue to really take off and rise in short supply this year. And it's expensive. This is going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah. And like we were saying before, like, shoot, if we try to scale on a mandate and this stuff, like the rye prices are going to keep going up. So we better figure out how to grow our own because we're going to keep doing this. And at that point it was, uh, there wasn't the rye and I'm buddies with the local cover crop seed dealer. And, uh, and I was like, well, Hey Trent, like, why don't we just, we'll use the winter wheat? No big deal. It's about the same price. Going to do about the same stuff and we'll help you out, save your rye. You can sell that to your other customers and we'll just use wheat, no big deal. And then we're like, well, we better figure out this, how we're going to grow our own. So we relayed it. The issue with the relay is the wheat is so much shorter that oh. the beans were getting up into it and we weren't able yeah. to harvest all the wheat because we're in seven and a half inch spacings. Uh, we're not in rows. We're not using pushers. We're cutting the whole thing. So you got to keep your cutter bar high. Yeah. So we, we left a lot of wheat in the field that we didn't have, which is fine. It just regrew and shoot. We had like three or four years of volunteer wheat. There's probably still wheat growing up and out. So it's fine. Like, shoot, that's fine. And just reseeding the cover crop. But, um, you know, we don't want to clip those soybeans when we're trying to relay crop and right. uh, the rye gives us a lot more of a, a wiggle room to be able to play with, and, especially with some of our hills. You know, if you're on flat ground, um, it's fine. You can control the head and be able to really maybe fine tune it. But on some of our hills and contours, it's just tough to be able to right. get that to work. Well,
0: on. and I'm kind of chuckling with you there about your wheat uh, scenario and going back to Mark's question... That's why we've got wheat, peas and beans together because the wheat or the beans outgrew the wheat. And yeah. we, couldn't, we couldn't harvest the wheat. So I just said, fine, <laughs> we'll just wait till maturity and we'll harvest them all together.
1: Do it all. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that'd work on the, on the bean, on our soybeans and stuff though. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I'd be kind of the- waiting.
0: Yeah, and you're gonna lose some wheat along the way. It's gonna fall out of the head and it's gonna be on the ground. Right. I mean, it's not the perfect scenario. Yeah. But but sometimes, you know, I, I realize they're both cereals, but sometimes we gotta introduce different species to the to the yeah. to the system, you know. Um,
1: and it, and like you know, are like getting like different. if some of it falls down it's volunteer, that's fine. It's just more cover crop, okay. just more diversity. Yeah. That's okay. I mean,
0: Mitchell, every year is different, but our best beans in 21 were beans that were planted in the wheat that I was going to roll and the beans got too tall and I just, we didn't do anything. So the beans, yeah. the wheat grew together and yeah. we harvested 20, 20, 22 bushel wheat or 25 bushel wheat and and 70 bushel beans, organic. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's awesome. So I mean, that's, that's the key. I mean, and we've had some of that too where we've just left it not relayed it not sprayed it just yeah. exactly like you're saying and just usually for us we've got the the combine set so we're blowing the rye out the back yeah. right blowing the volunteer out trying to not get too much in there because we aren't separating it out and we don't want to get docked and stuff most of our stuff's going to feed pigs anyway we should tell them hey our rye, our beans are going to be even better because we got rye and stuff in it too yeah. um and you know and, and rye and rapeseed and hairy vetch and all this other <laughs> stuff that we got in there too. But uh, I don't know. I think there could be some opportunity for for more of that. I mean, I think that's going to be a it, – it's an interesting kind of little rabbit hole here, but especially if it's going to livestock, it's like, shoot, why not have some of that diversity already in there for their feed? Maybe you can cut back on some of your other additives that you got to buy, especially a lot of them being bought from China, a lot they, of these different mineral additives and stuff. Like, Why don't we figure out how to grow more of that right here?
0: Yeah. That's exactly right. I, I think, and I think some of those nutritionists are coming around to this notion. We just have to stay yeah, on them, especially. It's just
1: not as consistent. You know, they're used to yeah. consistency, and you got some of this one, they get some of that one, and they can control it. But yeah, yeah. I
0: don't know. And It'll I've come. got a question here from uh, from Hayden Guterman. How you doing, Hayden? Uh, Rick, is the grain quality of the wheat poor when harvesting with soybeans? Well, yeah. Yeah, it's probably not gonna be be milling grade there, Hayden, but I have the luxury of having livestock in the backyard, and I was able to contact that that feedlot or those that dairy, and they were willing to take uh, those as a co-mingled uh, crop. So yeah, everything was fine. But yes, the quality probably probably lost three pounds of test weight, but you know, as far as like like uh uh, aflatoxin or scab i I didn't see any of that i mean the wheat itself was still fine uh we just lost some test weight um good question Mm -hmm. uh rotary screen takes rye out of beans quickly you're exactly right mark we can you can do that too you got one of those old hell we have still got a rotary screen that dad bought in the 70s so um yeah you get that's
1: dad was talking with uh lauren we were with lauren Steinlogging and these guys yesterday and and they were talking about cleaning rye and keeping stuff and dad what dad does is he runs it back through the combine so he opens up the side and puts it behind the rotor and just runs it through the sieves again and he's got to kind of it, you know to to get it like kind of piped in there coming off of the coming off of the seed tender you know put it back in there and uh but it works and shoot that grain like you get just get the sieves kind of down in the way that you need, and shoot, that's yeah. going to clean it just as good as anything else. It's basically, the same thing, and uh, you know, good enough for what we need. And we're just running it right back in the drill anyway. All it is is get some of the big seed heads out, and maybe some of the all straw, right. and that's it. Yeah, that's all we care about, right?
0: Yeah, it's all good. Um, all right, Mitchell, a couple more things I want to hit on. Um, Mitchell, you you are a dad, tell us about being a dad. Yeah, what, what, what's yeah. this done to your life?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good, good pivot here, Rick. <laughs> um, yeah. So Celeste, um, was born in November. So she's eighth generation here. Oh, uh, wow. yeah. Eighth, uh, eighth, eighth generation of the, the horror farm. And, uh, she's, she's four months. She just cut a tooth yesterday. Ooh. Four and wow. a half months old.
0: That's early.
1: My wife was like, yeah, they're supposed to get them at like six. No, she's got a tooth already. She's been eating like food for a while um growing she's like just damn near 17 pounds she's a nice chunky one uh but she's happy and and uh yeah she's down um my wife owns a dance studio you know and so they're down in fairfield now they ought to be coming back in a little bit um but we'll get some dinner put together for the for the girls Mm -hmm. here later but no she's been a lot of fun and and um you know been been really fun for like my family and stuff too i've got a nephew that's just about to turn one uh, so Celeste is grandkid number two for my family, grandkid number one on my wife's side of the family. We got a lot of family around here. And uh, so a lot of helping hands, a lot of people to to watch over her while we're running all over the place and doing our thing. And luckily she she sleeps through the night and has for a long time, oh, and boy. which is great because as we're running around, we don't get a lot of sleep as it is anyway. So uh, luckily we've got a really good baby that allows us to sleep so that's yeah, great But doesn't it, change, doesn't
0: it change your outlook on on life the urgency of things your outlook on life yeah. I mean, it all's changed now you? i mean you're you're young you're only 27 But yeah that little uh precious cargo now that you have celeste has changed everything
1: yeah and it is definitely a a good reminder to think about this differently you know yeah. to think about that long term think about the future but it also, it's kind of a mixture of both, you know, obviously I, I am not afraid to work super long hours and be out running all over the place and shoot a good chunk the rest of the month. I'm not going to be around here and not going to be able to be with her. And, uh, it's part of it, but doing it now, setting things up so that, you know, when she's older and stuff later, when there's more going on, you know, hopefully can be around and be able to balance that. And, um, I think that's what this is all about, you know, just like it's just creating balance in the soil that's my definition of soil health uh you know and creating balance in what we eat balancing our life balancing all this stuff it, it's the whole thing it's mimicking nature mother nature is always trying to get the balance same thing for everything here right and um and also you know trying to uh factor in like we're all human here and i'm we're all just trying to do the best we can with the couple hours that we've got and um you can only do so much here too and it's got to you know sacrifices wow. that got to be made things that have happened already and uh, more that that will both on sacrificing business opportunities and sacrificing and opportunities to be with with family stuff too it's a balance of both and got to just factor that in um but it's been a it's been a good learning experience here already and definitely changes things but she's been she's been a, heck of a lot of fun so well, it's all been well, good Congratulations, changes.
0: congratulations thanks yeah um, now Mitchell, you've been, you've, you've, you're such a, a young man at, you know, you've already got a lot of accolades, but let's talk about this Forbes 30 under 30. That That's a big deal. Talk, tell us about the process. Tell us what, what's it mean to you and, 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 you know, and the future, everything.
1: Yeah. So, so really, you know, part of trying to really be out there and be, be upfront trying to, trying to be as out there and as, as provide as much awareness as I can um has positioned me to you know to be able to receive some pretty cool things and and um yeah. some real humbling experiences you know so um yeah so it was on last year's Forbes 30 under 30 list um in the social impact category 30 okay. under 30 it's not just 30 people they give these out to lots of people <laughs> but I mean it is a cool thing but there's like a, a lot more than 30 people um but in this category you know it was looking at Uh, folks that are making that impact. And what what was really interesting is there's lots of different categories, but they, they slaughtered me for the social impact one, um, which is really interesting as our space within ag and within soil health and the ag tech side of things that we're in, that this social impact was this category that the committee put it put us into, so that's kind of kind of interesting. But, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, I got I got nominated, submitted a bunch of stuff. Um, they've got a, a committee, you know, that selects the candidates and stuff. And there's been a couple different webinar kind of things. I'm in a couple different group chats, and I've chatted with plenty of the other winners. And, um, a good uh, you know interesting little community and some good accolades. But the biggest thing for me when I get any of these different, um, when I, whether it's speaking at different stuff or awards or whatever all it is to me is that it's more people watching more people that, all right, we got, we better figure this out here. We better deliver. Uh, There's a lot of people that are saying, Hey, somebody has got to get this figured out. Might as well be you guys. And uh, so that's how I take it. That it's, it's them saying, Hey, there's some potential here and what you're doing is the right thing. So get after it, keep it going and, and keep delivering. That's how I take it. It's very much so not, we've done anything great or I'm any better than anybody else. It's no, there's some opportunity here. We need to go deliver. That's, yeah. that's been the key for me.
0: Well, that's awesome. And, and, and Mitchell, thank you so much for being on. I think we're going to wrap it up here, but I, I, yeah. do, I want to ask, I want you to take us home here. What, what, of what questions did I not ask you? What would you like to, your last few thoughts here. what do you, how do you want to wrap
1: this up? I mean, it's basically, My my take on all this, my kind of final is you know, we're we're very much in the right path. And you kind of hit on it before that there's very few people that are really in and really have the understanding that everyone that's that's watching this or listening here later, um, we need to be paying attention here. We need to be learning about these things. This is where the puck is going. And um and figuring out some of that data, getting your ducks in a row now. You don't have to jump into anything, you don't have to lock yourself into anything, but the data. The accumulation of this stuff is going to be extremely important. That future is here now. Um, It's going to be very much blockchain and that data driven. I already bought um, some carbon offsets as an NFT about Uh two months ago, almost Okay. on the blockchain carbon offsets, buying them with cryptocurrency. It's a thing already. Yeah. And it's legit. And like the, the uh, guy who developed it is in France. I talked to the CEO of the whole, the dude that developed the whole thing. Like, this is some crazy stuff, um, but in order to position ourselves, you got to have data, and you have to tell that story. We're gonna have to have reduction in a row, um, and the the quicker you can get on some of that, or just be thinking about this and gathering the right things, the more the better positioned you're going to be to be able yeah. to capture the the opportunities. Right. So that's kind of my last thought there. You know, we've been trying to trying to enable plenty of that, and uh, but it's about learning. It's about being aware. Um, and paying attention to uh, to events and stuff like this. and um, but a lot of opportunity for for us, Rick, and for everyone that's on this call to to make sure that you are paying attention and and wow. um, and because you're here, I know you know I know that you are, but it does take more of this stuff. and uh, we also have to continue to bring more um, outside folks to this table too. Mm-hmm. We need to be thinking about who's not here today. Yeah. Who else? Who should be? Who should be coming? Who should be coming to the field days? Who needs to be coming to the different events? Who needs to be tuned into webinars? Who else should we invite on and and push on them? Um, yeah. Some things we we think a lot about.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much. It's been an yeah, honor right. to have you on here tonight. Thank you. Um, i
1: knew it would be fun it's been uh, it's gone fast <laughs> it is, it is eight it's, and an hour,
0: it, it's an hour and a half and it <laughs> felt like 20 minutes
1: <laughs> yeah well <laughs> in, it sounds like uh, uh well in uh more content of you and me on both the Fielder podcast and the Topsoil podcast yeah. we're gonna be hanging out again next week
0: yeah
1: um, it's gonna it's gonna be people a blast want more of us. they uh, can get more of us
0: uh next week we will be at dave brant's field day and we're going to do a, a uh, conglomeration of, of Mitchell's podcasts and our podcast, and we're going to wrap them together. So, next week's going to be pretty fun. Uh, Dave will be there. I know Mitchell's there. I'm there. Uh, Lauren Steinlock is going to be there. I'm not sure who else showing up.
1: Archuleta is going to be there. Oh,
0: yeah. Ray's going to be there. It's going to be a blast. So, don't you do yeah, not man. want to miss next week? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, well, thank you, everybody. Stuff here. Everybody have a great week, Mitchell. Thank you again. See you in a few days. Everyone yeah. have a great week. See you next time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Bye.